0: The Experts podcast is powered by MediaStable.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Experts Podcast. Nick Hayes here, and LHC's in the house. (laughs) Hello, LHC. Hello,
0: Nick Hayes.
1: Tell me why we're calling you LHC. Well,
0: I might be married now, and I've decided to be a two-names slash two-dads. Oh, two-dads, Yeah, but not really (laughs) two-dads. Anyway, we've got off to a flyer here.
1: We have got off to a rip but we've got a really, really important podcast here. The Experts Podcast is going to talk about the bridge, the bridge, Lana, the bridge between experts and media. And uh, look, we bring on experts every week. We bring on experts in media. We bring on experts that are in their field very good at what they do. We've got two more experts here in the room. We do. We welcome back John Solvander, Director of Media Engagement at Media Stable. Thank you. Thank you. And we've got Emily Morgan, one of the first media engagement managers, Lana. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, Em.
2: Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Good to
1: have you. I can see that you're very pumped to be doing this. Hey, um, it's an important chat that we're going to have, because, and it's a special chat, because we always do talk about you know, experts, what their experience has been like in the media, and we talk to media and what they're looking for, but I want to talk to the bridge, the people that bring the stories together, the people that make these stories happen. I'll start with you, John. What is it? that the media cycle, what does the media cycle look like today from an immediate engagement perspective?
3: So um, just a, a small one to start off with Nick, thank you. Um,
1: we only do the big topics here John.
3: Look it is, it's, it's incredibly fast. I've never seen a media cycle so fast and I think COVID has really contributed to that. Um, we've had daily updates, we have hourly updates, we have Press conferences called, at, you know, at a moment's notice. We have state premiers, we have health officials. It's really, um, it's it's incredible how how fast it's become. And I think for, for experts that that really does present a challenge, because trying to keep on top of that mm. is really hard. It's hard enough for us, but for experts to kind of keep their eye on what's happening, I think is um, one of the major challenges. And that that was the case before COVID as well. Um, the media has a, a, an incredibly short um, attention span. You know, a big story um, overnight can be completely ignored um, if something breaks in the morning. Yeah. So, so we have this constant um, headline-breaking kind of cycle. And f- f- for me and for Emily... I know that trying to keep on top of that, keep our experts across that is, is really a challenge.
1: And, and if it's a challenge for those that work in media and are such media professionals, how difficult must it be for the expert and the commentator and the, and the leader of their field trying to engage the media?
3: Yeah, that's right. And, and I, I, I guess selfishly, you know, from a media stable perspective, that's where we come in. It's our job to stay on, on top of that. And, and that's not easy, but, it, but it's possible, I yeah. think.
1: Now, Em, you're an award-winning journalist. You have been up and about, and you're so pleased to be here, I can tell. <laughs> um, em, what, when writing for media, what are the, some of the things that you're doing for some of our experts, but what, what are you writing for for the media? What are you looking to do to present your story or their story in front of them?
2: Um, I think it's about looking at, like John was saying, You know, there's always big stories coming out cutting into that news cycle but I think for me it's making sure that you're connecting the dots as an expert so looking at what is that big story that's hitting the news that day looking at the real fine detail of that story not just going for the big headline commentary but going into the detail looking at exactly what you care about and just focusing as an expert on what is your wheelhouse. I know you love that word. Oh, I love the wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Focusing on that wheelhouse, looking at exactly what you want to talk about and not getting swept away with the news, trying to focus, trying to stay calm, trying to get that commentary out there that you really want to put out there. Really,
1: really good advice. And I think that's the kind of thing that, um, where I've got such great respect for both what you do, both of what you do, because... It's also taking that eye and that, uh, that review of a story. Every expert thinks that they've got an important story to tell, Lana. Yeah. But they don't know how to shape, frame and pitch it for the way the media works with. And I think that's a really good call. John, you mentioned it earlier. It's good for you for, as a media engagement manager there to be able to look at the story the way the news looks at it, but for, Lana, for experts out there, they just want to tell a story that they think the most important thing going around. It's not always the case.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. It isn't always the case. And it is, I want to throw a question to both of you, but I want to start with you, Em, because it's something we talk about a lot in terms of what actually makes a story newsworthy. And I know there's not just one thing. Um, and I think f- from my perspective as, uh, as an expert, well, previous expert, that's, that can be a really hard thing to wrap your head around at first when you're trying to kind of get your message into the news narrative. So what, from your perspective, makes a story newsworthy or what are some of the things? I always think about the audience. Like if you want to
2: get into the West or the Sydney Morning Herald, think about who is reading that paper and what do they care about. They're, you know, if you're a, a business advisor, you might just be thinking about business owners and trying to get to them. But actually, those people have interests in all aspects of life. They've probably got kids. They probably go to community sport on the weekends. They probably like going to their favourite cafe and having a chat with their barista. You know, they've got things that they care about outside of business. Yeah. And so there's ways to apply your expertise and what you want to talk about to a broad audience. You've just really got to try and figure out who you're trying to appeal to. might be an everyday Australian. It might be a really niche group of people and then finding an angle that they care
0: about it's just getting into the mindset of the audience is what we're trying to do so important and what's not newsworthy john what do you reckon <laughs> isn't newsworthy <laughs> <laughs>
3: i think i want to go back to the other other sure, question first let's it would be a that. little positive first <laughs> yeah, sorry i would just like to be positive first um, in terms of for me what what makes a story is a human connection it's how does it make me feel as a reader, as a viewer, as a listener? Do, do I feel something? Mm. I, you know, I, I worked in radio for a long time and the, the best callers, the best interviews were the ones that made you laugh, they made you cry, they made you angry, um, they made you nod your head in agreement, um, but they made you feel something. So mm. for me, what, what makes a story is uh, it elicits a human emotion whatever it is you know it makes you think
1: and how I mean and that is a, a really good point if it's not affecting the human if it's not not tapping into us it's not going to go anywhere yeah how what's the challenge though I mean some of these topics that you're dealing with and both both of you are dealing with can be very dry um, you know <laughs> you, you can think about think about accountants what's the first thing when you meet an accountant accountant says oh don't worry about me I'm just boring I'm a boring old accountant without accountancy we don't exist as businesses people. We don't exist as, as, as individuals because, you know, money makes everything go around. What what? Why is it that, that we can't understand the human element story how, and how do we draw that out?
3: Well, I think um, I hate to bang on about this. I bang on about this all the time. Case studies bring stories to yes. life. I, I, you know, you, you talk about an accountant, okay, fairly dry numbers, you know, spreadsheets, profit and loss, all of that rubbish. But (laughs) sorry, any accountants
1: listening. (laughs) But but they're the first
3: ones to admit that. They're the
1: first ones to say that.
3: But but then, you know, focus on a small business owner who's struggling to, um, you know, with cash flow, trying to keep people employed or... And and then look at the small business owner and then apply, you know, the accountant skill to that small business owner and you can bring that story to life. And look, it it goes for any... um, any kind of expert, any kind of profession. When you deal with people, you can bring a story to life and um, often that's through a a case study.
2: I think it's about taking it back to basics as well. Like Often when you speak to our experts, they're trying to think of the most exciting story that they have when actually sometimes it's the most basic thing that they know to share that is the most newsworthy story that they can... Great point. They can do great it, point. It,
1: it is your backstory. A lot of lot of the time, it's you know how did you get here, and 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 there's your human element there. Is how did I get here, and why why am I doing what I'm doing? It's those are the questions I think that you know as human beings we are asking and want to know about why why they're here. Um, great start. This is awesome. M, you're a natural at podcasting. Gotcha. You are rock solid. Um, can I just st- shoot straight to you around the the problems? You, you wrote a beautiful blog for us, "Killing Your Darlings." Uh, a lot of writers don't necessarily, or and they're not naturally writers. They don't normally, you know, see those. Popping up—it's just not not something you do to to spot. You need an editor. You need someone else looking after your work. Um, talk us through a little bit of that. What, why is it important to have someone looking over your work? And you can mention my work as much as you like because it's probably more your work than mine.
2: <laughs> I that makes me think about actually as a as a cadet journo um, at Business News when Mark Buyer, you know, I'd write the tiniest little things for the you know the smallest little column. And he would say to me, your writing is so flowery, Emily. <laughs> and that's kind of the, my entry into journalism was Mark, thank you, Mark, telling me that my writing was too flowery. And that was my entry into Killing Your Darlings as well. It was like learning that it's not about expressive language. It's about getting the point across yeah, um, in the most effective way, especially in business journalism. Um But for our experts, I think one of the things that they don't do enough is just do a brain dump for us. Like you've got to get into the mode of writing. And I think a lot of our experts try to perfect their writing before they even send it to us. And that's what we're here for. You know, our team is here to help them create it and craft it, they just need to give us the information and we can turn it into something that's really attractive to media. That's
0: interesting though. Why why is the brain dump useful to you? Is it because it gives you a a more in-depth, natural look at what their perspective is?
2: I think actually it's because... One of the biggest hurdles for our experts is getting the information to us. It's about time for them. Right. They A lot of them say, I don't have the time to give you 150 words for the media board or 150 words for a story pitch. And what I always say to them is just give me some dot points. Yep. I just need what's in your brain. Mm. And I can <laughs> then help you turn it into a pitch. Yep. Um, so, m- for me, it's just... About getting the information and time, and then over the course of a a profile, you can teach them how to write it in a way that's going to be attractive to media. But we just need the info to start with.
1: What I love what you just said there before is you know what Mark Buyer said is you know you Emily you write too flowery, you're flowery.
3: (laughs) But John, how
1: important is it to get to the point? Because there is, I mean, in today's modern media world, we don't have a lot of time to get to the point. Or if we're going to grab the attention of the media, we've got to slap them hard.
3: That's right. And, you know, how many um, Meet the Medias have we had now, Nick? Eight?
1: Uh, no, just going on 21, John.
3: 21. Sorry. Wow. I mean, I meant series of… Um, years. Years. Oh, five years. Five years. years. Yeah. Um, every, every one of those um, sessions, every time we speak to the media, we ask them how they like this their, um, their pitches delivered. And every year it, it gets shorter and shorter. It's a headline… It's some bullet points. Yep. It's a paragraph. In fact, sometimes it's just one line. Yep. And I've spoke. I, I have sent stories to um, journalists in Perth with seriously one line mm. with a with a subject.
2: <laughs> I reckon the subject line of an email is the most important part of a pitch. Yeah,
3: yep. Yep. definitely. Totally yep. agree.
1: Totally agree because that is the very first thing that we see, and it's the very first thing they'll either reject or accept. So uh, get straight to. The point. Um, I love it. <laughs> the next move that the media will have is that you know that w- instead of one line, it'd be send it to us telepathically. <laughs> uh, because if only that's that's how it's go- that's how short it's going to get. And,
3: and and it it's the same as the text. You know, a lot of the journo's we work with are so busy, they just want us to text something. Yeah, and that that's how fast and and how kind of abbreviated this whole process has become. Um, you know, journo's will call me and say, hey. I need a case study now. Yeah, <laughs> what have you got? That's that's the conversation. Um, so, so this kind of process is it, it all goes back to the speed that I was talking about. Journos are under incredible pressure. Um, they've they've got to fill um, columns in newspapers. They've got to fill websites. It's you know, and the the newsrooms are still shrinking. Yeah, you know, they are shrinking. So, this process of speed. Um, you know, it's difficult for us. It's difficult for journo's, and it's difficult for experts. But it's not impossible. No, it's not impossible to manage.
1: Let's talk about relationships because I think you know it's one thing to have a story, but it's another thing to have a platform and a relationship to communicate that through. How important is relationships with the media? Uh, Are they lost, or is it purely transactional? I always remember Alan Kohler at a meet the media saying, "I don't want to have a relationship with the expert. I just want the I just want the story." And that for him was just transaction when you've got other media that want to know that the person that they're getting the content from is trusted is the right person is the is the right story how, how important is it to have relationships
3: I think it's incredibly important um, that there's an element of trust between what we do and, and what journalists do um, <laughs> I should say some 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 media are fairly transactional yeah it, it's it's like what have you got OK, thanks, see you later. Um, but, but that's probably the exception, I would say. And it takes time to um, build but that I kind of relationship. I would say that for
1: most other people outside of what we do, that's the norm. Because think about it, every time you send a press release or we'll, we'll put something out there to the media, you hear crickets. 99% of the time or 90% of the time and it's not always about your content it just might be that you just don't have a relationship with them
3: yeah that's very true and and trying to build that trust takes time you know the trust that the the, the content you're delivering or the expert you're delivering is up to um, you know a high standard it's really important and you know you, you can destroy that trust really really easily so it's something that we take a lot of care with um, and it's something that, that we all try to nurture with the people that we work with.
2: I think as a journo as well, you're only as good as your sources. So you do want good relationships as a journalist, and I think that will always be the case.
1: And are they protective of their sources too? Because there's, there's there is an element there that sometimes, and this is probably where to the detriment of media staple, <laughs> is that sometimes you just don't want to let a good source go um, and feed it off to your colleagues or friends in the media. Uh,
2: they're a little bit protective... Definitely.
1: Let's move on to what is ultimately the the media cycle and where it's looking to go. We talked about it, John, you started off with uh, the speed, etc. What what does a post-COVID media cycle look like? Moving forward, what 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 are we going to do? Is it going to be just pure subject line? Are the media releases still valid? And Lana, we know we've been to plenty of meet the medias. I think every time we do a meet the media, uh, the relevance of a of a press release drops off another three or four percent every time. What does what does it look like to both of you?
3: Um, post COVID, I, I frankly don't think that we're going to see a post COVID media cycle for another. Five years. Yeah. I think we're just going to have to live with COVID. COVID is going to become great point a, a, a part of uh, of newspapers. If you, you go to a website now, there's a whole section COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, w- this isn't going away. No, not at all. So, I guess what we have to learn to do is is live with it, uh, just as we have with the virus itself. But um, so I think COVID is always going to be in the background. Um, I, th- I personally think that there'll be a bit of a, a kind of a, a recalibration of people post-COVID, I, and you can kind of see it with people moving to the country, people reassessing their careers, um, you know, the, the, the relationships they have with family and, and with friends and, and in business. I think that, um, yeah, out of all of this, there could be some, some quite good um, outcomes, I think, out of COVID. But for the next five years, I think we're really stuck with COVID, and we, we we just have to learn to live with it.
2: And I think experts have to be patient as well. We just have to people who want to get their story in the news or in the media. We just need to be extra patient because COVID a COVID story can come along and just kill something that you'd lined up for weeks. Yeah. yeah. Um. But media has also become adaptive, and they might pick that story up again when. previously they wouldn't have, Um, it's still got life in it. Um, So I think we just need to be patient and wait for that opportunity to come back.
1: Oh, I really love that message Lana, being yeah, patient. And I think I don't think there's enough patience when it comes. We all want to be sort of superstars. We all want our expertise and probably in some cases rightfully so acknowledged at the beginning, but it does take time. Think of all the experts Lana that we've, you know, that you you would you know, that are out in the scene There, you look at a Bernard Salt the demographer. You know, he didn't wasn't an overnight success. Yeah. He was one that has been doing this for 25 plus years.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's quite a strange mentality I think there's a lot of it in our society in general, though, a lack of patience in general. But, like, in business, you, you can't expect to be a, an overnight success in business. Why would you expect to be an overnight success in media? So, yeah, yeah great point, M. I think the, the sooner people understand it's a long game, um, you know, the, the better.
1: I never had any doubt, M. you would come out with the pure gold for this podcast. <laughs> there was never any doubt at all. Well, we, we are on a short podcast we here are. today. We've all got things that we need to go away and do. But it would be remiss of me not to have, to have two of the best media engagement managers in the country to ask for a piece of advice that you would give to an expert. And it's probably something you're going to give to an expert in, to, in the next 10 minutes yeah. or in the, next, <laughs> the next, know, half an hour. next half an hour, next <laughs> week. But Em, what would you, what would you tell an expert? Uh, other than patience, because you can't use that one again, what would you tell an expert
2: I'm going to steal the most important piece of advice and I know John would say this too but it's access the media in some way listen to the radio while you're driving to work read the paper log in and you know read digital media access it in some way
3: Love that thank you thank you very much in
1: <laughs> stolen yours
3: She's dead right though if you yep. want to be part of something you've you've got to you've got to engage in it so if you want to be part of the media, you've you've got to engage with it. And there you've has got been a trend it.
1: that has changed, hasn't it? Because I can remember only three years ago, John, that we would have you know thirty or forty percent of experts that wouldn't engage media. They just said, "Look, I don't even listen to radio or watch TV."
3: Yeah, I, I hear constantly from people. Not constantly. I, I it's it's regular. Um, I don't consume the media because it's 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 too negative. Right. Um, but that, that's not just, you know, I think people can filter what they, they watch and listen to. Sure. doesn't mean they have to necessarily um, watch the six o'clock news every night. But yes. it could be podcasts, could be specialist media, could be their target media. Um, but yeah, M's absolutely right. If you want to be part of it, you've got to start consuming it. Love
1: it. Great content there, Lana <laughs> Ilkawani. Uh, trying it to get was. that out.
0: Yeah, that was a bit strange. But no, I'd love to do this again guys well maybe. no and
1: maybe it, and look it, it has been <laughs> special and thank you M. and thank <laughs> you john um, very well prepared and uh, ready for this and it was a good little insight into the bridge that connects experts and media and i think you know for anyone that's listening whether you're a member of media stable or if you're an expert or commentator find someone else to work with with you um, have someone editing have someone looking over your work pushing it out uh, because you know, you can get caught up in it and you can get caught up in your own expertise and your own importance in some cases. Um, but it, it is about having help and support. And uh, I think you need lots of it. That was a ripper. That was our media engagement team headed up by John Silvanda. Emily Morgan in the house podcasting for the first time. Love her work. And we love your work. We look forward to having your company, LHC. I look forward to having
0: look your company. Look forward com- to having
1: your company, NH. Oh, there you go. I, I need, a, need a third letter. Um, and uh, we look forward to having your company next week when we talk to another expert or another media.
0: You have been listening to the Experts Podcast powered by Media Stable. To get in touch with the team, head to the Media Stable website, mediastable.com.au.